The following is a production of Best in the World Sports, a division of Definitive Visions Multimedia. We're the Philadelphia fans. for another edition of the 83 to infinity podcast my name is brown welcome to this week's edition this week on our other podcast offense defense and discourse my partner mike jones and i discussed the sixers going into the playoffs we also talked about the move to put ben simmons at the four position here's what we talked about as we record this podcast Sixers are five games into the eight-game uh, seeding schedule. They are three and two. <laughs> wins over the Wizards. Wins over uh, Spurs. Wins over the Magic. Lost to the Pacers. Lost to the Trailblazers. In true, in true 76ers 2019-2020 fashion, even though they're playing in the same space, no fans, no difference. The Sixers have won the games that they're supposedly the home team, lost the games that they're the road team, with the exception of one. They are one and two in their games that they're listed as the road team. That one win was against the Wizards, who at this point have nobody and are just there for the free T-shirts. But nonetheless, Wizards, they need to see what they have. We know what we have. Know what we have right now? A lot of injuries. Ben Simmons, presumably out for the season, came back, played four. After all of that, after a um, you know months of layoff, we co- Ben Simmons comes back with the Sixers, looking you know with the with a move to power forward. A lot of people love that move. Let me ask you first: When you heard that they were moving Ben Simmons to power forward, what did you think of the move? My first thoughts were that without the responsibilities of having to create off the dribble and with a, without a crowd in the building to get into his head, he might feel play a little more freely. He might play a little more aggressively. That's not what happened. That's in, not what happened at all. In your eyes, what happened? A couple things happened, none of them really good. Mm-hmm. The defensive edge the Sixers had when you start a perimeter of Simmons, Richardson, and what, Thibel, say, say you start Thibel at the two, Richardson at the three, or you could go with a little bigger with Harris at the three, something like that. But your, your defensive perimeter is top shelf. It's top notch. Moving Ben Simmons to the four, and now you have Shake at the one. You're sacrificing some defense. I like Shake. He's a nice little player. He's got, a, I think, a solid future in the league as a as a pro. But defensively, he's not there yet. Where you can call him 
a lockdown defender. Team, teams are going at the Sixers perimeter defense, especially in the pick and roll. They, DJ Warren, pick and roll, a lot of screen action, went for 53. Dame Lillard pick and rolled them all night for 51 himself. It's, mm-hmm. So you made some defensive sacrifices to try to try an offensive experiment which didn't really seem to work. You were forced into that offensive experiment because you had a point guard who wouldn't space the floor by even thinking about attempting a jump shot. Vincent, don't blame Brett Brown for attempting it. Ben Simmons forced his head. What I'm seeing is that Ben Simmons is honestly best suited to probably be a point guard. He has to take that next step mentally where he's willing to shoot the ball. It's not about making the shots. It's about what's necessary to keep the team flowing properly. If the defense knows you're completely unwilling to shoot, they never have to guard you. If you're not a great shooter, it might hedge, close out slowly, but if you're an average shooter, they're going to come closing out. If you if you end up being a good shooter, it can't leave you. You know, so the more you shoot, the better you shoot. The only way to get better at shooting is by shooting. So the more you do that, the more it helps the team. It's not just a matter of your own stats looking good or my field goal percentage. It's This is one of those things where it becomes a detriment to the team to continue to allow him to run the point guard if he's not going to face the floor, especially when you have a center like Embiid who likes who is able to create matchup problems every time in the post but for that to work he needs space so you're not have guys swatting at the ball doubling down looking to trap you know for that to work guys need space so Um, honestly I, i feel like in essence i understand the move like you said brett brown's hand yeah, you had you to, a, he had to do something. You got a point guard who can create. You have a mm-hmm. point guard who can facilitate. Mm-hmm. But you're still, you're still winding up with a guard who won't shoot. Mm-hmm. At this point, you can't even say he can't shoot. He yeah, won't. I, you, I intentionally didn't use the word yeah. Yeah, <laughs> We have actually seen him shoot. He shot a decent percentage. And I, and and you and I have pulled our hair out literally during, you know, during these shows. You and I have done mm-hmm. podcasts together for a little while now. And it's like, I feel like I'm there. We've had a conversation, uh, an ongoing conversation about how you define evolution. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, We've had differing opinions because, and primarily part of those differing opinions was because you were at a point that I wasn't at at that time. Mm-hmm. I think you're here now. Well, you know what? I'm getting there. I'm a lot closer to there now than I was the last time we had this conversation. Mm-hmm. Last time we had this conversation, you know, I'm like, okay, there, I felt like there were improvements in his. I, I felt like his numbers 
spelled improvement. But now you're at a point where it was like I okay, did, and I agreed with you. I, I believe. Mm-hmm. But now I agree with you to the point. Like I I thought he was improving. But then we got to that word evolving. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when we start using that word evolving, that means I'm starting. I want to see some change. I want to see some different things. Yeah. And right. he, he refuses to do that. Yeah. Anything different than what he's already good at. Mm-hmm. It's like. I, honestly, it almost seems it 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 almost seemed like he feels like one or two jump shots mm-hmm. makes him cool for the next two three games, at least. Like you know what? Let me come out here. Let me shoot this jump shot. Let me shoot this jumper. Make mm-hmm. it. Or not. In fact, he probably felt like you know if I make this jump shot, y'all got to leave me alone for a week. For like for like two weeks. Yeah. If, yeah, I, two shoot, weeks. if I shoot one. Just shoot, shoot one. You got to leave me alone for the first week. Yeah. If I make it, I if earn I make, the extra week. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. If, I, if I make a three pointer, you got to lay off me for two weeks. Mm-hmm. If I miss it, all right, give me a week. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot one again. But nonetheless, they moved in the point. They moved him to forward. And there were some struggles in his defense, there were mm-hmm. struggles in team defense. But I mm-hmm. felt like the biggest, the, the biggest thing, and I, and I remember watching those first couple of games, and I had, and you, you know, during these games, Jonesy and I, we we we, we text each other, and the first thing I'm like, you know what? As much as this, as much as I agree with the point that you made, that Ben Simmons forced Brett Brown's hand to move him to power forward, because. Mm-hmm. But, you know he's a guard. He in in essence he's a guard that won't shoot. You move him to power forward. You move Tobias from power forward to small forward, where he played better. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know he was a small forward last season. A lot of people said that hey, you know what he's moving to his natural position. That may be that may be the case. That may be right. That may be wrong. Whatever. But he played better at three. I agree. So you move Ben Simmons to the four. You got Tobias at the three. Those are the two players that you know. That's the that's the position that they're better at. And now I'm looking at a front court of Embiid, Simmons, and Tobias. And quite frankly, in the four games that they played together, you know what? They played pretty darn well. Mm-hmm. That's a fair know, assessment. They they put you know there was you know. Ben Simmons might not have had the best defensive season in the bubble, but nonetheless, but nonetheless, I thought they I thought they played well. But the problem is, I don't know if the Sixers have the guard play to facilitate that move. You know, we talk about it, we talk mm-hmm. about a lot in when we're talking about college basketball. We talk about, you know, how you need guard play to to advance and, you know, to survive in advance in March Madness. But in the NBA, that can be the case as well. Shake Milton had a couple of nice games. Shake Milton is an NBA point guard. Mike Jones, I ask right now, is Shake Milton starting NBA point guard on a playoff team. 
Offensively, I think he can handle the job with a sufficient talent around him. Defensively, I don't know. He's he could be a role player type point guard on a team on a playoff mm-hmm. team if you have adequate talent around him. Don't expect him to be like star point guard. That's that's not him for sure at this point offensively. But defensively, I definitely think there's still a lot to be desired. Let me ask you this then, because you you said that he could be a, a role player. Mm-hmm. Are you comfortable with two role players? Because that's what they have. That's what they're going to have to do. Can't be there, mm-hmm. there, there'll, there'll be no moves to be made. There'll be there. There are no moves to be made at this point. Are you comfortable with two role players in that backcourt for the Philadelphia 76ers moving into the playoffs? It could be. I could be. If that would be. Okay. That would be dependent on one very important thing that I don't think is likely to happen. Okay. All right. How are the 94-95 NBA champions built? 94-95, that's that's the Rockets. They're built around uh-huh. they're they're built around Olajuwon. Who was their backcourt? Vernon Maxwell and uh was that Kenny Smith. Hmm? Kenny Smith. Kenny okay, Smith. Yeah. Kenny Smith and Vernon Maxwell. Was it Smith and Maxwell? Or was Maxwell huh? off the bench? Max actually it might have been Smith and Ellie. Which position did Ellie play? The two or the three? I thought Ellie played the two. No, 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 no. I, I think Ellie played the, the three. It was Maxwell at the two and Smith. Yeah, you got role players all around the perimeter, mm, okay. which is my point. That will require MB to be in shape and to dominate both ends of the floor in the paint, offensively and defensively. And with this ankle injury that he has right now, mm-hmm. and his propensity to get out of shape when there's not game action going on to begin with, Coupled with a lower body injury that tends to limit your ability to do cardio and do conditioning. I'm not really holding my breath on Embiid being in the best shape of whenever he does return to the court. Okay, so here's, here's the thing. Sixers are locked into the sixth spot at this point. Mm-hmm. Can't drop, can't rise. Like we talk about Joel Embiid's in uh, his conditioning. Mm-hmm. The thing that gets me about that conversation about his conditioning is I feel like there have been times when we've remarked about how good he's looked and how well, you know, how well it looks like he's worked on his conditioning. Mm-hmm. And then for some re- like, I feel like we talked about his conditioning, how how well conditioned he looked coming into this season, which now feels like five years ago. But we talked about him looking and appearing in good shape as we entered the 2019-2020 season. And then, whether it be like an injury, I think, you know, I feel like it was took a couple games off, got suspended for fighting Carl Anthony Towns. And we were right back where we were talking about he was in bad condition. Like, what is he going – if he misses these next three games, is he just going to eat Big Macs for 
next, you know, for the for the next couple of weeks until he never, you know, until he comes back. What is it about his condition? Like he he looked in good shape starting, you know, with the start of the, of this second season with the restart. He looked in good mm-hmm. shape. He did. You still see him trailing on plays and getting back a little late. Not you remember when he first got on the court after sitting for the what first year and a half or so of his career, two and a half years of his career. Yeah. And he finally got on that court that January and the type of energy he showed. Oh yeah, yeah. Especially defensively chasing down stuff, getting back every time. That's what Type of effort you need to see out of him for this team to advance. Think about advancing beyond the first round. He has it in him. He's we've seen enough then to know that he's capable of gearing up like that. But that's what we need to see him do. And if we can get that from him, then mm-hmm. we we can possibly have some hope for getting out of the first round against Boston. As important as Embiid is. As much as this falls on MB, still believe that this is going to come down to the guards. You need guard play. How confident are you in these guards? I feel like the combination of Horford and Embiid in the front court together mm-hmm. is better in the bubble. Like people were convinced that Horford and Embiid just couldn't play together. Coming, you know, two guys in, like in, that need space to operate. Mm-hmm. What was the first thing I he, said about the former point guard? He didn't provide space. He didn't provide space. When, when I, you have two big guys, you need the perimeter players to provide space. Now he's out there with make or miss guys who are actually willing to shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. Jake will take the shot. Alex Burke will take the shot. Richardson, Josh Richardson will take the shot. Bible will shoot. Wise will definitely shoot. Yeah. You know, these are guys that will provide more space. So now you can see the dynamic with two bigs, high posts, low posts, mm-hmm. opposite wings, such like that, and they have room to function effectively. Mm-hmm. That that is I say like with, with guys like that, Embiid, who's uber talented, and Horford, we've seen over the years is a very high IQ player who you actually can run the offense through. If you think about when he was in Boston, their point guards, Isaiah Thomas and such, were scoring points. The ball motion on the offense was triggered through triggered through Horford. Yep. You know, so you do have options still on how to run an offense at a high level. You just need your guards to be effective. You don't need them to be stars. But that again, go to my earlier point. Success is predicated on Embiid being a dominant player on both ends. With that, it can work. Without that, no, you don't have enough. I guess giving that that it, it will work. But eventually you're going to need these guards who are taking these shots that are providing these space the spacing. You're going to actually need them to make these shots. Mm-hmm. How confident are how confident are you in that that can happen? How confident, like, what I would love to have, what I would love to see before the playoffs actually start. Can I get a guard to have a good, two good games in a row? 
I've seen, you know, Shake Milton had a rough game, had a, a particularly rough game against Indiana. Yeah, he got into it with jo- Joel Embiid, whatever. I don't, I don't, you know, that's that's water under the bridge. I, I you know, that's 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 two guys competitive getting frustrated, you know, frustrated with a situation, whatever. Water under the bridge, not a big deal. The the point I'm making is Shake had a tough game against Indiana, bounced back, mm-hmm. which is what you want him to do. Took that shot against the Spurs, and you want and. And you love the guts of a, of, of a player who had a rough game. Absolutely. Stepping had to the shot confidently. Yes. You, I love every bit of that. I'm there for that. However, I feel like I need a little bit more consistency from the guards. I need to see whether it be Shake Milton, whether it be Alec Burke, whether it be uh, Fork, uh, Furkan Korkmaz, whether it be Josh Richardson. Josh Richardson had himself a game against the Trailblazers, albeit in a losing effort, but there was absolutely no reason for the Sixers to be in that game. But that's exactly my point. All those guys that you just named, you don't need any of them to be a star or any of them to carry you. You, All those guys, then you throw in Thibel, they commit to giving you a good defensive effort and a all contribute some offensively, you can get enough. But like I said, that is predicated on Embiid being dominant. Him being dominant on the all the defensive end makes the whole team much better on the defensively. And him being on the offensive end forces other teams to try to help and scheme for him, which makes the job for those other guys much easier. Take the pressure off those guys. Give them open shots they can step into or catch the defense rotating because you had to double down on the big one-two passes, a wide-open shot, wide-open lane to the basket, those type of things. These guys can do that for you. But at that point, you're, you're not asking them to carry the load or an, an unbearable portion of the load, at least, because – Guy who you drafted top three, paid top money to, comes in motivated and dominates the way he's capable of as probably the most talented center in the league right now. So, given that, how let me ask you. Okay, you've been asking me. Let me get it. Let me get what you think out of this. How confident are you? The Sixers, specifically the backcourt guard play. They're, the consistency scares me. That's been my that's been my point. I don't need them to be stars. I don't need Shake Milton to be the the fourth star on this team. I feel like this team was built around Embi- this team is going to be built around Embiid, Simmons, and Tobias Harris. You got your one, mm-hmm. your two, and your two A. How about that? Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't necessarily need Shake Milton or Josh Richardson to be superstars. I don't need them to be all stars. I don't need them to necessarily take in, take over games day in and day out. But I would like them to be a lot more. I would like them to be more consistent. 
I would like to see Shake Milton play, take shots with the confidence and make shots with the ability that he did in San, uh, San Antonio more games in a row. I would like to understand see, that. I would like to see some consistency from Josh Richardson. I feel like Josh Richardson had himself a game against Portland. I would love to see another game like that. I understand that you can't expect, and and I'm not asking Josh Richardson to be Jimmy Butler. You know, I I don't need him. I don't need him to be Jimmy Butler. I'm not, I'm not even sure if Josh Richardson can be Jimmy Butler. I would love to see more of what I saw against the Trailblazers in these last three games. All right. Now, let me ask you want to do one thing for me, and okay. this is what I want everybody listening to do when they're thinking about the Sixers, like what it could be. Imagine Embiid that first January that he played that type of effort. Imagine the team that was around him then. Compare that rest of that unit to the team that's around him now. They can be all right if he comes in focused. It all yeah. at this point, it all hinges on him. Yeah, it's, he's the I one know. transcendent player on the team. I feel like at at this point in time, Joel Embiid is in a situation where there he will not have Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. So expectations are slightly tempered. Slightly. Slightly tempered, but he still has Tobias Harris. He still has Al Horford. He he still has Shake Milton. He still has Josh Richardson, which is better than the team that he had around him. Hold on. on. I'm I'm starting to have beef with you. Why don't you ever mention my man Thibel's name when you start? You know, know, you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I don't mean mean to slight him. No, you are absolutely right. Thibel is a piece. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like I like what Thibault has done as a personality, and I like his play. So I, I, too. I, I absolutely, you know, that's, you know, hey, charge it to my mind, not to my heart. Because I have absolutely no reason to leave out Thibault. And honestly, I, I would absolutely like to see Thibault get a little more of Korkmaz's minutes. Okay. I would like to see. Thibault get more Cork Maz's minutes as much as I would also like to see Alec Burt get more of Neto's minutes, but I think that's actually I agree with that I too. Think the I absolutely in, in agree a, with that too. Because Neto got way too many minutes to start this uh, to start this season. I didn't even understand that. Even with with, with even before with the, the Simmons injury, before the cha- with the change yeah. of position to Ben being off the ball, you think there'd be more opportunity for Burt to play some one. He's I guess all, honestly, all of them, Milton, Burt, Neto, they're all kind of combo guards. No pure point guard in the Pure point guard, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a work in progress. Too bad we're at this point in the year and we still have a work in progress. But I don't want to hear work. I want to hear. I want to hear. You know, well-oiled machine. I want to hear. You know, cooking with gas. I want to hear. We we are rolling on all four cylinders. I don't want to hear. Hey, man, we're just a work in progress. Once again, you are listening to the eighty-three to infinity podcast, where we talk Philadelphia 76ers basketball. 
we are recapping our NBA discussion from earlier this week and the Offense, Defense, and Discourse podcast, which you can find right here on SoundCloud.com slash B-I-T-W Sports. We are also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Want to skip forward in the conversation because my partner, Mike Jones, presented a very interesting trade that he thinks the Sixers should at least ponder this offseason. You and I talked about something earlier this week. We talked about, and let's just put it out there, man. Playoffs are upon us. Mm-hmm. Houston, once again, is in the playoffs. And once again, nobody's really expecting Houston to make a lot of noise. They've now given this whole James Harden, Russell Westbrook thing a couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. The window is closing, true or false? Absolutely closing for the Houston team as mm-hmm. constructed. So you kind of floated out the idea to me. And me being I did. me being the friend that I am, I'm now going to put it out there for the public. You talked about maybe a mo- moving Russell Westbrook. I did. Would you like to p- please share the okay. scenario that you threw out to me about possibly moving Russell Westbrook? Right. Well, there are two teams entering this playoffs that with as much talent as on their rosters, they're kind of expected underachieve as constructed. Okay. One being the Houston Rockets, the other being a team you and I are relatively familiar with, the Philadelphia 76ers. Mm-hmm. And when we talk, when you and I talk about the 76ers, there are a couple things we talk about. One, they need somebody who has that dog in them. Two, when you come down to situational basketball and you need somebody who can just go get a bucket, who is it? Three, Houston, they need size. They, they need size. They have none. The biggest person they throw on the court, on the court most nights is P.J. Tucker at, what, 6'8", six, 6'7", six, six, somewhere six, in there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to get it done. There are teams in the West with point guards at 6'8". Dallas and and the Lakers both bring 6'8 six, six, point guards out there. Mm-hmm. So, where I see things could actually line up in the offseason for these two teams to actually make a deal mm-hmm. is if Houston decides they want to get bigger, the Sixers decide... We need to free up some space in, on the court and eliminate this log jam we have with our bid. Because the discussion with Philly all year is, yeah, Embiid's good, yeah, Horford's good, but can they play together? If it were me, if I'm Elton Brand, the Sixers GM, mm-hmm. you know, once we get through this pl- playoffs and we underachieve and Houston gets to that, their playoffs and underachieve, I'm on the phone with Daryl Morey immediately. What do you need for Russell Westbrook? And as much as you've actually heard me 
bad mouth Russ game as a point guard, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be bringing him in to play the point guard in Philly. Mm-hmm. And moving what Simmons back on the ball, who is a more than willing playmaker, will feed everyone else. Move Russ, move Russ off the ball offensively, and let him be in attack mode where he's comfortable all game long. He can still use that dog and on the guard, guard the one on defense, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily in strong suit trying to get low and defend the quicker guards. You you've seen the Sixers struggle in pick and roll defense all year long. Mm-hmm. So I do actually believe. Those two teams have pieces that could mesh well if they're looking to, I don't want to say rebuild, but retool look in the offseason. So, now, so, on the Sixers, this is the um, now the part that really got your attention mm-hmm. was pieces I said I would move for to get Westbrook. My my first option would be to try to find some package of Horford, Josh Richardson for Westbrook and a shooter. However, if that's not possible, I would be willing to trade Embiid. I'll keep Horford. He can play center. He's still functional. He can do a lot of things. I'll keep Richardson. He's a good defender, versatile player, can do a lot of things. I'll move Embiid. And you were shocked. It's like, move Embiid? The thing is, all right, real quick, who would you say your three teams that you call favorites to win the NBA championship this year? This year? Yeah, pick three this year. Pick three teams. Probably Lakers, Clippers, Milwaukee. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Who's the best center on any of those teams? Mike Howard? Vail McGee? Brooke Lopez? Mm-hmm. Zubac? None of these are dominant bigs. Mm-hmm. Role player bigs. Mm-hmm. Which is really what you need to win. If you have enough talent around the perimeter, last dominant big to win an NBA championship was Shaq. And he's the most dominant big you've seen ever. Mm-hmm. In, in our that, life, in our lifetime, you know, yeah, and yes, yeah. Before that, as a dominant center winning, you're going back to Olajuwon, who was one of the most skilled centers we've seen in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, like, if your center is not like all time great, you probably don't want to build your offense around. Mm-hmm. It does slow things down for everyone else. Now we've got to wait on this guy. When we have guys who are talented, athletic, skilled, out in front, ready to attack, then you can't because you're running an offense through Embiid, who's usually jogging up court, the last man down, ends up having to set up at the top of the key as a trailer and work from the outside in rather than rim running and work, working from the inside out. I'm not saying never shoot Jays. I'm saying run rim to rim and work inside out. You know? Mm-hmm. But what we often see from Embiid is him coming up court as the trailer, jogging, getting that first touch at the top of the key, and then trying to back and post his way in, and the whole offense has to slow down to wait for that. Mm-hmm. If you remember Embiid, that first January he played after coming back from, what, two years of injuries or so? Yeah, he had a lot of energy. He was A lot of energy. Yeah. He, he ran hard both ends of the yeah. court every time. That's what caught and everybody's eye. That's what every, that's right. when everyone was like, whoa. Like, what do, mm-hmm. like we had sat, we sat there, and Embiid was what? The second of three straight years of drafting centers. 
Mm-hmm. You know, there was Nerl at the time. We had Nerlens. We had brought in Joel, who didn't play, and then we and finally then brought, brought in. in then we brought in Ja. Nerlens was all right. Ja was uh, okay. And then we didn't see Embiid for two years, and then he comes in with all this energy, with all the you know, with with, with a lot of energy, with a lot of hustle, and you're like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is what we've been doing this for, and this that's is- the MB the Sixers need to get. Yes, if they want want to succeed mm-hmm. with him. You're not going to get that MB move. I mean, how you, so how do you, you get that MB? Like, like is it? Does he need someone? Does he need someone to push him? Because we we hear we, we you know we probably one of his biggest public critics is just the guys on NBA on TNT. Mm-hmm. And, they say the same thing. They, they, he's, they, loafing, they, he's not being yeah. dominant, not not imposing his yeah. will physically. And All it, of it, that starts with working inside out, getting the guy down court mm-hmm. and making him force you away from the room. And Nobody in the league can do that to Embiid, but he lets him, he blows him out with, on the perimeter. With those guys, I feel like you got to chew the meat and spit the bones. Like, I'm, like, I'm not calling everything that they say BS, mm-hmm. you know, because, like, you know, we, we watch it, so you see it, you know, but there have, you know, they have taking their time piling on it from time to time as well. But nonetheless, yeah. but nonetheless, one one of the one of the observations that Charles Barkley always makes when he talks about Joel Embiid's effort is the fact that he had when when Charles Barkley was a young player, he had Moses Malone in his ear telling him, him that, out of work. Yeah, pushing him to work, telling him to work, making him get in shape. Mm-hmm. Now I will be, you know, I am somebody you can go in, you know, best in the world archives. And I had always said, you know, when it looked like I always thought like probably one of the biggest tragedies, uh, a, a tragedy basketball wise, not necessarily like in the great, the greater scheme of things. But one of the biggest travesties was the fact that the Sixers had made a move where it looked like they are now going to build around the big man. They bring in Nerlens, they bring in Joel, they bring in Ja. You know, it, it looks like, okay, if they're going to rebuild, they're going to rebuild around size. But unfortunately, when they made that move, Moses Malone passed away, and then Daryl Dawkins passed away. And those were two guys you would, you know, I would have loved to have had in this organization while you had those three big men. Those are three guys I would love to have had. Those are two guys I would love to have had in the building while you had these three young big studs. I agree. And the, my fear with Embiid now is that he's no longer really that young. Yeah, yeah. You um, got to mm-hmm. him as a rookie, second-year player, Yes. and instill the, the standards mm-hmm. of, of consistency, of effort, those things when he was getting like Berkeley was but see now Embiid has a superstar ego yeah so I don't know who out there short of a Shaq or a Lajuan yeah you know has the type of cachet yeah. you need to get Embiid to really sit down mm-hmm. and listen to you because because yeah. it, it, and it speaks to what you just said the last 
the last big man, the last dominant big man in the league was Shaq. And I feel like Shaq has been such Shaq has, has taken enough shots at Embiid that if you brought him in to now mentor Embiid, Embiid has a reason to tune him out. Mm-hmm. And oh, it's personal. He just don't like me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but 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 now you go so far behind. Like how much? How much does Embiid know about Olajuwon, the player? You and I, who are both in our forties, we know Hakeem Olajuwon. You ain't got to tell us mm-hmm. about you know Hakeem Olajuwon, who he was. But at this point, what is Joel Embiid? Twenty six. Mm-hmm. What does a twenty six year old know about Hakeem Olajuwon? You know, I'm sure he's watched some tape. I mean, yeah. You, and if you watch Embiid's footwork and some of the moves he's mm-hmm. he's he tries, you know he's watched some Olajuwon tape. Mm-hmm. But actually, about the consistency, the type of personality he had on the court. Mm. Really watching, getting the end games, not just studying highlights of moves, but really paying attention to how he played, how he went about his business on mm. the court. Those type of things. And I'm not sure how much Embiid really paid attention to that part of it. Exactly. It's but- real easy for a lot of people to like watching, watch the dream and say, oh, the dream shake, the footwork and all that. Mm. But, but his actual, how much his are you actual watching? game. Yeah. His, like, how, how much are you watching before he gets the ball into his hands to see how hard he worked to but, get into that deep post position and, and where I, he could I, use the dream fake? But that and, and that is just that that goes into you know when you're watching tape like and B watch has watched tape of Hakeem Olajuwon. You and I watch Rockets games. Like we sat down, you know, you and I are from an era. I watched the Rockets. Yeah. You know, we watched games. Watched those games. Yeah, it's like, like, Embiid has pro- Embiid has probably watched Shaq games. You know, he's he's not. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's old enough to have watched Shaq games. You know, and that's and that is you know that is where you know you see these players like their reverence for Kobe Bryant. They watched Kobe because they play. watched Kobe play, and then when you see, like, when you look at Kobe's generation, Kobe, Iverson, Vince Carter, you know, and you see what they took from Jordan because they watched Jordan, you know, mm-hmm. that is like these, you know, it's like Kobe, you know, the the, the Kobe generation, they see Jordan. As, hey, I watched him play, and they were in, you know, they were in the league. Towards the end of, you know, the so not only did they watch him play, they played against him. Now, this mm-hmm. generation, like, like it was Jordan the player, then Jordan the sneakers. Whereas mm-hmm. this, you know, this generation. It's Jordan the sneakers. Jordan the sneakers, first. and then Jordan the player. But to tie this all into Embiid, it's like he needs somebody in his, you know, he, he would benefit, like the person... Like a big man who would get into his ear has to be somebody who played and won at a high level. And the first name off the list, you know, he's taking himself both. Hmm, yeah, but and he's yeah, and, and he's kind of taking himself off the list. Like you know, it, it, it's it's not going to be Shaq. 
It's not going to be Shaq. You know, it's not going to be Shaq. Uh, it's not going to be Olajuwon either unless you go to Houston because yeah. he's very committed to that organization. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it, and then after that, who do you have? You know, it's like David Robinson. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, he's committed to the Spurs. Mm-hmm. Alonzo Mourning, he's committed to the Heat. Patrick Ewing has a job. Yep. So you know who who are you know who are you going to bring in? It's like you sit here and like you look at the Sixers bench, uh, the bench, and I'm not talking about their bench players. I'm I'm looking like their assistant coaches. Who's coaching the big man? You got point guards coaching your your, your center. Mm-hmm. You got guards. Yeah. Guards they, and, and swingmen. If you think about it, when was the last year Shaq won a championship? What was that? That was 2006. Two thousand six. Yeah, two two thousand six. What was that? It was two thousand six. He won with Wade in Miami. Yes, because that was that was my that, that was my honeymoon year. I was I was I was watching them. I was watching them from Key West. Last time we really saw dominant Shaq was what two thousand one, two thousand two with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. So Embiid is twenty six now. That was eighteen years ago. He was eight years old, maybe. And last time Shaq was really dominant, and Embiid wasn't playing basketball. We're, then. Yeah, we're, yeah, we talked about Embiid first started playing basketball in high school. When exactly. He was 15, so, 16, 17 years old. So for his basketball life, there really is no frame of reference for a dominant big man. Mm-hmm. The closest thing he got was Dwight Howard in Orlando. And what's Dwight Howard going to teach him about playing in the post? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. So, so to to your point, because the point that you made in suggesting this trade mm-hmm. was that you don't necessarily need a dominant big man to win in today's basketball. And quite frankly, if if you're going to commit to a big, it's like we don't like the resources to commit to this big Mm -hmm. to show him how to be a dominant big in today's NBA isn't out there. Yeah. And without that, that's why I say I'd be willing to trade him if it will upgrade my perimeter talent mm-hmm. and still allow me to have a serviceable center in the playing in the paint, which is mm-hmm. what most high-end teams have at this point. A lot of perimeter talent and a serviceable oh, center who can block, play. shot, and rebound, make bucks when they're there, when they show up. And there you have it, y'all. Mike Jones thinks that Sixers fans should consider, and probably more importantly, he thinks the Sixers should consider trading Joel Embiid and bringing in Russell Westbrook if you have an issue with that scenario please take it up with him leave me out of this I want no parts of this but remember you can hit us up on Twitter where you can find us in fact you can find us on Facebook Instagram Twitter at BITW Sports once again Facebook Instagram Twitter at BITW Sports let us know what you think of this podcast remember you can download this podcast at any time on soundcloud.com you can also look up best in the world sports on apple podcast google podcast and iheart radio my name is brown thank you for listening to the 83 to infinity podcast talk to you next time when we're talking playoff basketball go sixes
you feel on this podcast? To hear this and more, go to soundcloud.com slash B-I-T-W sports or on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and search Best in the World.